we made a decision that felt really radical. It doesn't feel so radical to me because we've been doing it now for 15 years, but we decided we were going to spend two hours a day not co-managing our household, not co-parenting our family, not co-working in our ministry. We were going to spend two hours a day wearing only this, the hat of, of woman or man, of friend, of spouse. We decided to do it from like 9 to 11 every night. No email, no laundry, no dishes, no kids, no work talk, no nothing. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Eddy. And I'm Elisa Morgan. Have you ever felt disconnected from your spouse or someone you're close to? Maybe your schedules are getting more and more busy every day, or your kids distract you from paying attention to the other person. Well, today we're talking to Beth and Todd Guckenberger, a married couple who decided years ago to set aside two hours of their night working on growing their marriage. Beth and Todd have an incredible story and work on what they call a co-missional marriage while being parents to 11 children. They are also the founders and leaders of Back to Back Ministries, an international orphan care organization they started in Mexico, which we'll have a link in the show notes. We're so excited to hear their story and spend time with them on this episode of God Hears Her. Erin, have you heard the term commissional marriage? Mm. I have heard it. But I'm not extremely familiar with it. I don't think it's, I've had a conversation on it. Yeah, it could be sound a little weird. <laughs> if you just take it out of context, you know, co-missional. Okay, try to expand our little minds here. What do you think it could mean? And by that word, it's C-O and then missional. So I think two and then on mission coming together. Ooh, Look at your little linguist. Oh, look at that. (laughs) That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Like on a mission together. Together. Yeah, I think co means together. That's good. That's good. Okay. We are talking with Todd and Beth. We all have something to say about co-missional marriage, right? Welcome. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having us. (laughs) You know, um, gosh, for us, co-missional marriage, we have decided to tie our lives together, not just in a marriage and not just as co-parents and not just as friends, but we also vocationally Mm. share a calling. And we didn't like set out to do that. I don't think in the beginning we imagined 25 years later, we'd still be doing it. But and that idea that we are focused on something outside of ourselves and we've watched that focus actually bind us in ways that we couldn't have manufactured through date nights and uh, that that's kind of commissional marriage is like this experience of deciding I'm going to try as best as I can to put my gifts next to your gifts Mm -hmm. my thinking and insight next to your thinking and insight my challenge exhortation correction next to yours Mm -hmm. let's see if one plus one can actually equal more than two Mm which is really probably what our testimony is. We've watched something get multiplied in that 
in that effort. Yeah, and I think it's all, you know, summed up in purpose, greater purpose, you know, yeah. very intentional. Mm -hmm. I want to hear how that evolved, but the first question that's coming to my mind is, isn't really every marriage intended to be that way? Yeah, right, exactly. And what do you want to say to that as we set the stage mm -hmm. here? Because you guys have a specific calling, but the way you backed up, Beth, and, and then Todd, and talked about how when you lay each other's gifts alongside each other, you get more than two. Mm -hmm. Talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, and we obviously serve in ministry together, but we believe that anybody can have a commissional marriage. It's really mm -hmm. about being other-minded, other-centered, but focused on something bigger than just yourselves. But to be to be aligned together, mm -hmm. focused on some other thing. Right. It really is like this decision we made at, at some point that we didn't just want to add up the days and see what we ended up being. We were going to put some strategy and thinking behind it that was hopefully more elevated than our own thinking. Like, mm -hmm. God, what is it that you, well, how do we even know each other? And why, why would you have put us together? Mm -hmm. And is there a, is there meaning behind this particular combination that's bigger than just the children that we birthed? Although that's giant. I mean, we have 11 kids, well, but yeah. sometimes you can make your family life be your exclusive mission. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. I think that is certainly a huge part of our life, but that is not the entirety of our life. Mm, yeah. Would you say it's a mindset and a lifestyle? Yeah. I, I mean, probably the most radical thing we would we'll say on this podcast, I'll mm -hmm. say next. Um, we had been married about a decade and it, nobody was doing anything wrong. Like he, we still liked each other, but when we saw one another coming, at least, I, I mean, I like to confess that I was thinking, what can he do for me right now? Because our, <laughs> our house was growing. We had, we had tons of demands. And I, I, when I saw him, I wanted him to help me. When he saw me, he wanted me to help him. Our interactions were becoming increasingly transactional. Yeah. And uh, when I was studying the biblical books of poetry with some friends of mine, Song of Solomon and Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, and I read this verse in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, catch the little foxes, the little foxes that want to come into your vineyard and mm. ruin it while it's in bloom. That's so good. Mm. I love and that. I had this moment with my friends where I said, oh my gosh, I totally thought the good Christian woman thing to do was if a fox came into my vineyard to shield Todd from it so that I just always have my best foot forward. And I said, I wonder what it would look like if I told him what some of the metaphorical foxes were that were coming into my vineyard. Wow. So we had this select date night and I said, okay, so what would you do if I told them to you? And he said, well, I get my bazooka out and shoot those foxes because I'm <laughs> real interested in your vineyard being in bloom. And I said, okay, well, here, here are some of the foxes that I have. And some of them are, were innocent, like fatigue and busyness. Some of them were more complex from, you know, history and, and sin and all that. And we decided, okay, let's, let's just tackle the whole busy fatigue issue. And we made a decision that felt really radical. It doesn't feel so radical to me because we've been doing it now over 15 years, but we decided we were going to spend two hours a day, not co-managing our household, not co-parenting our family, not co-working in our ministry. We were going to spend two hours a day wearing only the, the hat of, of woman or man, of friend, of spouse. Wow. And it was so, in the beginning, we, de we decided to do it from like 9 to 11 every night. 
no email, no laundry, no dishes, no kids, no work mm-hmm. talk, no nothing. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, the kids were like so confused because <laughs> the door gets shut and like there was like a no trespassing. You had to be bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> and I can remember like one of our kids knocked on the door like, oh my gosh, we didn't finish math. I need mom for math. And Todd was like, you can go to second grade next year. It's fine. You know, and we had some teenage girls who were um, in our family and one of them would knock on the door like, I broke up with my boyfriend. I totally need to talk to her right now. And Todd was like, I'm positive you'll still be sad tomorrow. Check in then, you know, oh, and my goodness. we had to teach our children mm-hmm. that there was going to be some time set aside for us to be adults. Yeah. But what we saw happening later over time was, I mean, one, that became the deepest breath of our day I and bet. totally radically mm-hmm. saved our marriage as well as the commission part of it. Because we did much better job commissioning the other hours of the day, knowing that those hours of the day were mm. about investing and indulging and, and leisuring together. Mm. But I, mm. I think our kids began to realize, one, like if they saw tension in our relationship, which we're human, so they did sometimes, they're like, oh, it, it's fine. They're going to work it out tonight when they're together. Mm. There was no, and and now that most of our children are young adults, I'm making choices about their life partners, we're realizing we really hopefully put on display for them mm. the the aggressive nature you have to take, mm. the posture you have to take mm-hmm. to protect that kind of mm. intimacy. That's radical, yeah. We kind of jumped right into the thick of it, which I love yes, to do. Unapologetic the only conversations that. That, yeah. <laughs> so now could you back up and, and share a bit of your story, you know, who are you, Beth? Who are you, Todd? Um, how did you become mm-hmm. the Guggenbergers together? So we're, I think, unique now, but we met in high school, went to different high schools, but in the local Cincinnati area. Ah. So started dating our junior year and then dated all, went to college to Indiana University together, got real involved with Campus Crusader crew, mm-hmm. and uh, so loved serving, loved ministry, uh, had a heart for the orphan. We had a couple key events happen with orphans in particular in college and then early marriage after we got married our senior year in college and so we felt the call we felt incredibly called to serve orphans and vulnerable children uh specifically in mexico wow we were both teaching so we saved one of our salaries for a year completely no, no kids at the time so yeah no kids income. yeah so we, yeah, we had That's lots of discretionary right income. Yeah. yeah so we just socked away one one whole income and we felt called and we literally the end of that year we quit our jobs uh and we drove to the border of Mexico and we had a couple relationships we visited in March before that, but it was really just kind of on faith. We're going to just trust God that he's going to open doors for us to serve in Mexico. Yeah. And that was in 1997. So next year will be 25 years uh, with back to back. Wow. So why vulnerable kids yeah. and how do you define a vulnerable kid? Gosh, the why, I, I believe that God actually sowed that seed into our hearts before mm-hmm. we met each other. But wow. uh, we had a catalyst moment on a mission trip. So the middle of that that trip, I was just so frustrated with painting and hijacked <laughs> the trip. <laughs> Got in a taxi cab, tried, like, said the word orphaned with a bad Spanish accent. Because we had been to Albania once in college on a mission trip and had visited an orphanage one time. And it left this impression on us. So oh. we found an orphanage who that in that city who told us the kids hadn't had meat in over a year. Mm-hmm. So the next day we brought them some meat. Oh wow. We're feeding the kids. One of the little preschoolers came up for like her fifth serving and Todd was like, go find out where that kid is going. I don't know anyone who could eat that much. Yeah. And I followed her to her dorm room 
and there I could see all the preschoolers were helping each other lift up their mattresses and they were sticking the food underneath the mattresses. And we just stood in the doorway and thought about all the people we knew who would buy meat for orphans if they only knew how to do it. Yeah. And that, that moment was kind of like the, are, are we going to let go? We had matching SUVs, super cute condo, like, <laughs> like, are we going to let go of this trajectory yeah. and wonder what God might do if we respond? And sometimes when people ask me, like, explain exactly how the calling unfolded. It's not anywhere in my Bible, but it honestly, it felt like a magnet. Like mm. it just, even when we resisted against that calling, you could feel that the resistance. Wow. And so today, back to back ministries, we're in like all over the world, 350 staff. When I, when I think about what God in is doing so much bigger than us, I think, gosh, we stand in a long line of people throughout biblical history that are like ill-equipped and immature and under-resourced yeah. and we, we didn't really have it, but he just kind of looks for people who are obedient and faithful. And that's what we've tried to stay true to. Yeah. And, mm. and I think both of our giftings complemented each other really well. We weren't, I think sometimes, unfortunately, some couples have the same gifting. So it feels a little bit more competitive or mm-hmm. there's friction, but our gifts really complement each other. I was really handy, loved to serve with my hands, loved, we both loved to serve. So it was, it was kind of a, a win-win and it just we just felt compelled and, and took the next step and it was and it felt low risk in some ways because we had no kids yet mm-hmm. of course we got pregnant almost as soon as we moved to Monterey uh, which is kind of crazy <laughs> a surprise <Yeah>. but uh, <laughs> oops but um, but we but you know we've worked through that and it was it was a beautiful year what was it like in your journey of just um, growing more intimately in your reliance on the Lord I'll go first because mine's simple I actually feel like I'm not equipped to do anything. God has given me every, yeah. every ounce of, of equipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like even running an organization, I say we're a ministry and an organization. You have to have good operations and good systems, but yeah. you also have to be on your knees praying. Mm-hmm. The operations system, I had no experience in that, but but God literally gave me the resources I need, the, the training, the right people in my life. And so mm-hmm. I can pinpoint key people, key conversations mm-hmm. that helped form my decisions that helped us be spirit led and make sure yeah. that we stayed agile and just some really great things. I will go down in history saying that there's nothing I've been able to do without the Lord. hundred mm-hmm. mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Yeah. My answer is a little bit more complex. I grew up in a Christian family um, and nobody tried to build this into my theology, but I inadvertently absorbed this, what I felt like truth that if you do the right things, hard things won't happen. Mm-hmm. And then before, uh, after we got married, but before we became missionaries, uh, my 51-year-old father got cancer and died. And I was so shocked because we did all the things my Bible told me. Like we prayed in Jesus' name and with oil and after we fasted and with two <laughs> yeah. or more of us. And so when I had to like yeah. make room in a faith frame for hard things happening mm-hmm. to good people, it I can see now... I mean, if I'm really honest with you and your listeners, I'd say I would way rather not have learned the lesson and still have my dad around. That's just honest. But what God did for me and through that was he helped me understand how to be comfortable in the middle of stories that are hard and painful, which set me up for the next 25 years where when you work with orphan children, all of their stories are hard Mm. and painful. And I'm not sure that the faith that I carried prior to that would have 
sustained me in the middle of such difficulty. I really had to learn that lesson Mm. and see what God can give you in the middle of really hard things and see how, you know, that I I kept saying after my dad died, I felt like I had a spiritual bruise and the way the bruise healed was understanding God is sovereign Mm. and how sovereign is actually one of the most powerful words I can hang my hat on at the Mm. end of the day. So Mm. That, that's some of the things that God did, especially in those early years. I mean, I still can get shocked by stuff, but in the beginning, it's just everything was so shocking to me. Mm-hmm. The life experiences of kids and just what they had walked through at such early ages was so shocking. So mm-hmm. I had to keep saying, God, you're sovereign, you're sovereign. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. remember yeah. that you taught me that. You can redeem it mm-hmm. all. So good. That's right. I'm hearing yeah. um, you express in what I think is a very fresh way the truth that God equips you for that to which he calls you. Mm. But the way y'all are expressing it is to understand that God's economy is so different from our economy and that he truly can take one, meaning Todd, plus one, meaning Beth. And when he puts you together, the end result is much more than two. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband would refer to this as a win-win-win scenario. You know, a win for Todd, a win for Beth and a win for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. all of our relationships could be oriented that way, and, and I think that's what being in the community of Christ really looks like, you yes. know, mm-hmm. then we never have enough. You know, I love how you said it, Todd, you know, I didn't know how to run an organization and, you know, Beth, mm-hmm. you know, I had to have my worldview turned upside down. And, mm-hmm. and as God meets you uniquely in Todd and Beth, he then meets you in the Guggenbergers, and then he meets you via your expanding your offering mm-hmm. for the world to accomplish much more than you could by yourselves. There's this expression in Spanish, when you have more people come to dinner than you were planning on, you add more water to the beans. And we were <laughs> kind of walking that world of like adding more water to our beans and opening our door and opening our home and opening our table and, mm-hmm. and our life. And our our theme verse really became First Thessalonians 2.8, where... Paul says, I was delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but my life as well. Mm-hmm. And when we realized, okay, gospel advancement is about life sharing, mm-hmm. we first realized we had to do that with each other, mm-hmm. which we, we first had to learn That's how good. to sit with each other, listen to each other, mm-hmm. encourage one another, Yeah, all, the, all of those words. And then kind of out of the strength and overflow of some of the things we were doing in that place and space, we could grow our household or grow our ministry or grow our community and invest in them. And again, if we're being really honest with your listeners, the struggle is to protect yourself from being codependent on one another, which means if I have a good day, Todd has a good day. If I have a bad day, Todd has a bad day. That's not very healthy. (laughs) Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, (laughs) That's real though. Yeah, we we really want to be interdependent, Mm -hmm. not independent, not codependent, but really Mm -hmm. that interdependency, Mm -hmm. which again is now as we're starting to raise and release adult children that's what that looks like like i don't totally want them to be independent and forget that they have this home base that they don't live with anymore i don't totally want them to be i definitely don't want them to be codependent on us and need us when it's time for them to be adults but that interconnectedness especially in our international travels we started to see in other cultures lots of other cultures do that much better than we do in America. And so we were being influenced by certain families that we saw in other countries who were 
who and and we just started to say let's just deconstruct everything that we were taught yeah and try to build something that feels maybe global but certainly hopefully biblical right now i think too like even the early days back to commissioning is it was hard in the beginning because we were still we we actually dated for a long time so we we didn't we didn't have like any first year marriage struggles or anything like that but in working together side by side we didn't do the same things mm-hmm. but but there was friction because we had different you know priority lists in those same things mm-hmm. and some of those things so so i think we had to work through those things early on but i think once we learned or grew to and and now really do valued what it, the other offered and then Kind of honored that and helped to prioritize that that actually became a difference maker than how we could offer it to other people mm. and when we come back beth and todd will share more with us about their family and how to be co-missional in any relationship this and more is up next on god hears her do you struggle with loneliness if so you are not alone Whether you're part of the increasing percentage of people who actually live alone, or whether your complex emotions rise from other causes, feelings of isolation can affect every area of life. Most importantly, loneliness can cause us to forget core truths from God's Word. Truths like God loves you. God gives life meaning and purpose. And God will never leave you. In Elisa's new book, You Are Not Alone, She shares six affirming reminders of our loving God's person, plan, His presence, provision, promise, and purpose to encourage you. Go to store.ourdailybread.org slash not alone to get your copy. That's store.ourdailybread.org slash not alone. Now back to the show. I have a question, you know, as we're talking about commissional and you touched on codependency. And I think it's so easy to become codependent on each other. I would love for you to speak into that a little bit more because y'all y'all got married out of your senior year of college. And so at that age, you're not really equipped with like attachment styles and <laughs> you know, all, codependency and all of those things. And so how did you get to understanding that to then understand the commissional mindset between the two of you? Well, you know, I'd say some of the, the red flags over the years have been, you know, if we're disconnected, then we're done. Like not we're done marriage, but we're done ministry. Like you, we can't do the, you know. Oh. And so I, th- I think those were red flags that led us to have conversations about mm. You know, I don't like it when I feel this way. When we're disconnected, I don't like that. I also want to quit my day job, which is what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's some there's some emotion attached to that. And then I think even actually we fostered a ton of teens. I think there's a lot, a lot of life stories that come out of that. Sure. But I think, you know, for at least identifying where the problems were was one of the key in the learning process on that. We'd be remiss if we didn't pause for a second and say, yet again, as we've referenced it several times, y'all have 11 children. <laughs> and they come by, by birth, they come by adoption, they come by fostering. Yeah. I'm curious, A, why you have 11 children, but B, how did embracing this many children grow out of your commissional marriage? Mm. And were there spots when it was like, I feel called to this child. I don't, you know. You know, what was? How did that come to be? Mm. It's a we great just question. had that conversation last night. Very fresh. 
from nine to 11. (laughs) (laughs) Every child was a joint decision, which praise the Lord. And so sometimes I'll talk to women who want to adopt and their husbands don't. And I Mm -hmm. always say, do not push him Mm -hmm. because inevitably there's going to be a really hard night. And on that really hard night, you don't want someone saying, well, go get your son because, and and not claiming the, Mm -hmm. the responsibility. So for sure, all of our kids came as a joint decision. No, but we did. I mean, we're not from large families. I'm not even sure I met Maybe I knew an adopted child growing up, but it wasn't like that was our culture in any way. Mm. They each have kind of unique stories on how they ended up in our household. And and the best part, like especially during COVID when lots of them were home, college students were home. We have mm. some grad students who, who decided to come home during COVID. Watching them interact with each other mm. is... I mean, certainly one of my greatest joys is watching their relationships with each other. And Todd always calls it, you know, great accountability. I might be saying, please change your shirt, you <laughs> smelly teenage boy. But I don't have to say it because someone is definitely telling him. I love I love the dinner table because the dinner table, they call it, they just call each other out. But it's not mean. It doesn't cross yeah, the line. It's, it's truth. It's not even yeah. really sarcastic. It's just truth. It's yeah. just truth. And yeah. And so I, I, I love the dinner table because it's, it's, we don't have to do it. It's account. They give each other their own accountability. You're having 12 yeah. helpings of those cinnamon <laughs> buns. Yeah. yeah. How, Way to go. how yeah. many boys, girls, ages, I want to hear it all. <laughs> There's seven, uh, seven girls and four boys. Wow. So the youngest is a biological son who's 18. Okay. Then we have an adopted son who's 19. Then we have a bio son who's 21. Then we have an adopted son who's 23, a bio daughter who's 23, and a newly newly adopted daughter who's 23. She's been with us for a long time. but mm-hmm. um, So three 23-year-olds. Then we have three girls who we fostered for eight years and they are 25, 27 and 30. And so they aged out of foster care in our home, but um, never with our last name. Todd always says if they still cost us time and money, they count and they do definitely. So they're, they're in the house. (laughs) And then we have twin girls who we met when they were 11 and they came home with us full time at 15 Mm. and they are 35 and they both are married and have given us three granddaughters. So so the youngest four are boys and the oldest seven are girls. What a way to build a family and, and then a commissional marriage that ends up in a ministry. It's called back-to-back ministries. And tell us just for a second, what do you do there? So back-to-back ministries, we serve orphans and vulnerable children around the world. We're in eight different places in five different mm-hmm. countries. We're about depth. God has given us a, a really holistic model to go deep with fewer kids than math, the masses. We're really, really intentional about emotional and social development. We obviously want them to know Jesus and, and have a personal relationship with Jesus. But emotional and social development, many of the kids we work with have you know, come from hard places, come from traumatized backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we do a really intentional job of equipping our, the caregivers or the, or the foster parents or whoever is the primary human life on life in their, in their life, uh, equipping them with the right skills in trauma-competent care. So that's one of our, our key bullseyes, and, and that's really, I think, what helps us be most successful. It's hard. We, when we work with kids from hard places, it's really hard and lots yeah. of heartbreak, but lots and lots of success and, and lots of fun in it, too. Mm. Mm. That's so beautiful. What would you say to couples or women specifically who are listening and have a desire to have this whole concept of commissional living, mm. but maybe their partner isn't that into it? 
you know, just as like, mm, yeah, no, not so much. You know, how do we, how do we keep mm. on there? Yeah, I'm a big believer in micro goals. Um, I think that uh, sometimes we, we have these really unrealistic expectations about how something might turn out. And in our marriage, we talk about expectations are like premeditated resentments. They, mm. they, they, <laughs> they just kind of set you up for failure. So Stop for great. a second. Yeah, like, can you repeat that? <laughs> expectations are like premeditated resentments. I mean, mm. when I have an expectation on Todd, I'm really, it's, it's, it's frankly pretty manipulative. And I might use a carrot or a stick, whatever that version is that we have as wives, in order to try to get him to do something I want him to do. But that's never very satisfying. Yeah. Um, we want each party to be intrinsically motivated to be interested in our own personal sanctification mm. and our unity. And so um, expectations, are, are they're just not that healthy. So... For a woman listening, is like oh, I, I want to spend two hours every night. Um, exactly. I think a micro goal is probably a much better place to start. Just setting aside time where you just where you realize we're not going to answer our phones, we're not going to unload our dishwashers, we're not going to help somebody with math homework. We're going to just because, like what I say to people all the time is, I like him so much better than I did five years ago, and I like him five years ago so much better than I did on our tenth anniversary. And relationships don't naturally move closer without intentionality. Yeah. They naturally, we, it's pretty common to grow apart or to grow up in ways that you're not sharing with each other in real time. And then you mm -hmm. look and you're like, I don't even know you. And mm -hmm. where did that come from? And mm -hmm. so for, for some woman listening, thinking, I, I actually am curious about what it would look like to cultivate a friendship with my partner. Yeah. I'm interested in what it would look like to see him in some way other than the father of my child or the, you know, whatever, whatever other role she might see him in. I wonder what he's curious about. I wonder what he's learning. Mm -hmm. I wonder what he's feeling today. I wonder what he's afraid of. I wonder what scares him, you know, or mm -hmm. challenges him. Like those kind of questions could start to build meaningful conversation and from that meaningful conversation you kind of just want more and more of it and, yeah. yeah and I, my recommendation would be be invitational you know invite your husbands into it invite your husbands because i think everybody intrinsically wants something mm -hmm. to be meaningful uh, that's so good and when i hear you say that i think about really it's not normalizing what's sacred yeah. and protecting what's sacred mm, and yeah. i think the more we normalize, we make those mini actions that normalize something that is sacred. Being vulnerable, like you said earlier, like you have to be vulnerable and honest with how you feel consistently in, in your communication with each other. Only you guys will have that deep intimacy mm -hmm. with each other. The more we normalize it, the more it does lose its sacredness. And you guys have made, you've made your, your moments, like your hours that you spend together sacred. You mm -hmm. recognize this mm -hmm. is sacred. Mm -hmm. And so that just shows, I mean, that's just, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. And we do normalize things all the time. I was previously married for almost 10 years and I can look back and be so grateful for what God has taught me through that pain of going through the divorce and, and, and recognizing, um, about being, uh, marriage is about consistently giving, serving, being sanctified and, and keeping things sacred like you guys are doing. It's just such a testament to your family. You can see it. It's so cool. 
we have this uh, around back to back. We have this phrase we say all the time, and it stemmed from a conversation I had with a, one of my coworkers who I've served with. Actually, was my roommate in college, and we still serve together 25 years later. But mm-hmm. I was worn out. We were living in the field at the time because so we lived in Mexico for, for 15 years. And I turned to Matt and I said, Matt, I don't, I don't know how much longer I can do this, but I'll stick it out if you stick it out kind of thing. And so we, out of that evolved this, I'm in if you're in, we call it. Mm-hmm. When you go through hard things and when you do hard things together, it creates a, an intimate connection. Mm-hmm. We're in the trenches together. We're literally fighting the battle together. We're not against each other. Mm-hmm. We might be shoulder to shoulder. We might be back to back fighting in opposite directions, but we're in the trenches together. And I think that's the fruit of the co-mission. It's, you're not alone mm-hmm. in this. I've got your back. And it just built a unique bond that, you know, mm-hmm. and, I th- and I think to your earlier question, I think for spouses who want to engage their spouse in a commissional marriage, I think giving it to the Lord, you know, mm-hmm. and asking mm-hmm. God to soften their hearts mm-hmm. and for the right opportunity and for the right invitation and, mm-hmm. and kind of baby steps towards it. Maybe it's a small thing rather than a big thing at mm-hmm. first, just to, just to dip your toe in the water. It's mm-hmm. good. There's an obvious question that's kind of hit me right now, and that's that, you know, a lot of us aren't married, and so commissional seems like, well, I can't have a commissional marriage. Can we still live commissionally, and what does that look like? Yeah, I absolutely think we can. I think part of being commissional is deciding my agenda is not the most important. In fact, I'm going to add my own ambition, my own understanding, my own vision, alongside of whomever is it co-workers um i've seen some really neat sibling commissions mm. um you know mm. uh, i i not just I, in pairs figure skating not just yeah, yes exactly <laughs> even you know you think about ecclesiastics four when you see like a, a triple there you know a cord of three strands like there's examples where god decides i i'm gonna actually put on display more of who i am as the these disseminate parts come together and assemble and I mean, this is this is how we can put on display for the world that God's ways work because it's hard. It's hard to be in partnership with other people. It's hard to be to constantly be servant leaders and better listeners and not need to take credit and pick up slack and all the things you do in partnerships and in teamwork. But I, I absolutely think you can be com- commissional. Part of the reason we talk about commission inside of the context of marriage is because Lots of times we value other aspects of the marital relationship above the idea that God might have called us together to accomplish something bigger than us, but that does not mean it is exclusive to those relationships. Yeah, and I, I might I might even add, you know, within our organization, I mean, sure, externally too, it wouldn't have to be an organization, but but the people we serve alongside, I mean, they're right there in the trenches with each. We're in the trenches with each other. We, you know, there's nothing I wouldn't do for one of them, and they wouldn't do for me, and. You know, and, and there's one thing that I keep learning year over year is as Christ followers, we have to stay on the same side. There can be nothing nothing we can divide us. And, and we, we bicker over such small things sometimes. And I think it's really important, even, even if your group of friends, your group of people you fellowship with, your people, to co-mission with them in, in one way can be really fruitful. And we've done that in addition to our marriage. And we love that. It's beautiful. Beth and Todd are such an important example of how to serve where God calls you and how to have a healthy and intentional relationship. A co-missional marriage, a ministry, and 11 children, it's incredible. 
Well, before we close out today's episode of God Hears Her, we want to remind you that the show notes are available in the podcast description. The show notes not only contain the talking points for today's episode, but also links to connect with Aaron and me on social and also a link for back-to-back ministries to learn more about that work. You can visit our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you and he loves you because you are his. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Mary Jo Clark, Daniel Ryan Day, and Jade Gustafson. Today, we also want to recognize the amazing Our Daily Bread Contact Center for their help in promoting the God Hears Her podcast. Thanks so much. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.